Um, we've talked. I've mentioned it a, again briefly before that the word church in the New Testament is a Greek word called ekklesia, uh, and what ekklesia is, it means called out ones or a gathering, and it's actually taken from um, Old Greek in in Athens. There was a because it was a, a democracy, a group of senators and and people who were um, had sway in the city would gather together to discuss the things of Greek life and society, uh, almost like a governing body, really. I think, it, in fact, it was a governing body. Uh, but they would discuss this stuff, and that was called the ecclesia. And when the New Testament writers came to think of what the, a, a, a Greek word to use for what they knew as church, they, they fell upon this word. Um, part of that is, it, well, I, I should say they, they drew from something that they knew and, and what it was is actually, um, years before when the, the Old Testament was translated into Greek, um, called the Septuagint, uh, they used the word ecclesia in there also for the gathering of Israel. And so, um, I've talked about, uh, the fact that when they thought of the ecclesia, when they thought of church, when they thought of this thing that we do, their mindset wasn't a spectator and having someone up, up front talking, talking to them. They saw the gathering of the people of Israel, uh, kind of like it happened in Nehemiah, like it happened in other places in the Old, Old Testament, where the, the people would gather and they would worship and they would discuss the things of the community. Uh, and so, so I've said before that, that church really is more about community than it is about an institution. It's about being a people, not being a, uh, an organization, an organism, not an organization. Um, interestingly, and I, I just kind of found this interesting, that uh, synagogue is another Greek word that has almost exactly the same meaning. And when the synagogues were created uh, in the exile, during the time of exile, their main purpose was not worship and religious teaching. Their main purpose was to hold together the culture of Israel because they were in exile, the culture of the Jewish people. Um, and part of that, obviously, because they were a people of God, Part of that was worship. Part of that was understanding the law, learning the Torah. But primarily, it wasn't about a religious institution. It was about the people gathering together so that they can keep the cohesion of their culture, a culture of the people of God, in our case, the culture of the kingdom. So the church is not primarily an institution. The church is primarily a community of people whose job it is to hold together and project the culture of the kingdom of God to amongst ourselves and amongst the, the world out there. I'm going to go through um, some passages in the New Testament that just kind of talk about what the church is. Paul said the church is a body. And he said, we're the body of Christ in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. Falling back a little bit further, back 
um, a few verses, he starts by saying, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole church was about a pastor, then what's the point of all the other gifts that God has given to each one of you? If being the church was just about my role or the worship team, then what's the point of the gifts that he's poured out into each one of you? And he's poured out gifts in each one of you. And Paul lists a bunch of those gifts, and a lot of them sound super spiritual, but I love the fact that in amongst those gifts, he lists things like help, service, administration. You know that, that administration is a gift of the Holy Spirit? And I think there's a lot of people who have the gift of administration and feel like that's a sub-gift, that being a pastor, being a teacher, being someone who's up, up here is more important than administration. I'm so blessed by Emily's gift of administration because she keeps this place running way better than myself or anybody else on the leadership team could. I think we'd all fall apart without her. And Kathy as well. Kathy's very gifted, and her service is just as valuable. Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So it goes to you, to your role And again, I have to keep coming back to this because I think we've set church up to not, and and Resound, I think, does a better job than than a lot of churches at this because we do open it up for people to come up and give a word or something like that, and that's, that's great. But again, that is limiting even to a spoken gift, like a prophetic utterance. But there are other places and there are other gifts that when we set things up this way, and, and tonight at the, the um, Family Forum, we're going to talk a little bit about structure, and I don't know exactly where we're going to go with it, but, but it's something we need to wrestle with. We need to wrestle with the structure of, of the church because of what it communicates, and we want to make sure that, that everyone uh, has the opportunity to move in the gifts and talents that God's given them. So every part of the body needs to function. Um, I was reminded as I was thinking about this of uh, Friday night, John Bird doing the, the uh, emceeing for the, um, for the Matende quiz night. And uh, dude, you knocked it out of the park. It was so good. You really did such a good job. Um, the funny thing is I, I've used John uh, in other examples talking about kingdom in, in terms of education um, and even in terms of dyeing yarn. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like God's doing something and calling you out, John. And I don't know what that is, but I just want to speak to that because he calls you out. And you are a particularly gifted person, so bless you. 
Here's another one from Corinthians a little bit later, chapter 14. Paul says, what shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation, and everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Did you notice he didn't say, well, when you come together, be prepared to listen to the pastor speak and, you know, be moved by the worship team. He speaks to the whole body as if you've got something to offer. And I want to keep encouraging us in that because you have something to offer. You have something to offer on a Sunday morning. I think the stewards, I think the, the welcome team, I think the refreshments team, um, because they're serving. But I also, do, I also want to acknowledge the fact that um, they're serving in those gifts and they're, they're volunteering and they're blessing, but they're more gifted than just that even. There's other things that you each bring. And so don't think just because I'm a steward, that's my service to the body of Christ. Because I think that there's more. I think that there's more deep in you. And if you're not feeling what that more is, then perhaps part, it's partly because what we communicate as a culture of church that says that you sit out there and I come up here and talk. That will, by its nature, stifle your sense of being able to participate. And I want to start breaking that. I want to start breaking that off. And I don't know exactly what that looks like. And maybe it means a dr- drastic and dynamic change of what we do. I don't know. Um, we'll wrestle with that. But I just, want to, I just want to start breaking that because there's so much gift in this, in this congregation alone, let alone the full, whole body of Christ around Bristol, that needs to be acknowledged and needs to have a conduit to affect change. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So we're to encourage one another. We're to, to build one another up in each other's gifts. We need, we need as members of the body, when we see a, a gift rising up in somebody, to call it out and to affirm it and to speak to that and say, you know, to speak that into growth so that the person who's exercising a gift, maybe for the first time, maybe they're a little nervous about it, maybe they're uncomfortable with it, but we can call that up and we can water that as a, a plant. Um, great example is Mike. Your speaking the other week was amazing. And for the first time speaking, man, I was really, really impressed. I think my first time speaking was a mess compared to that. <laughs> it was, actually. <laughs> you weren't there. <laughs> um, I don't mean my first time speaking here. Um, but yeah, and I encourage you in that because even for the first time, even with the nerves I knew you had, your deliverance was, your delivery was, was really spot on. Um, you communicated well. You didn't rush. You, you had something really amazing to share. So go for it and keep going for it. And I'm going to put you on the road a lot more. <laughs> um, but I know people give words and I know people um, want to pray for people um, for healing or for um, other things uh, that are going on in their lives. And we're, in, we're touched and we're impacted and we need to step forward and begin to do that. And we need to encourage one another. 
The church has a mission. So the church is not just here to experience worship, and sometimes that's another thing that we communicate by the way we gather. We, we gather in a spectator thing, and we have a band up here, and we love to worship, and I love to worship. Worship is one of the, the things that I actually love most about the gathering. Um, I'm deeply moved by worship music, by uh, the presence of God that is often so tangibly felt when we're in that time of worship. But we're not just here to experience worship. In fact, we will experience worship throughout eternity. So we don't need to get that all done now. (laughs) Okay? But we are here. There is something that we do need to get done now, and that's mission, because in eternity we will be worshiping, but we don't have eternity to do mission. Uh, a theologian named Emil Bruner said, Mission is the cause of the church and its life. The church, the church exists by mission just as fire exists by burning. Where there is no mission, there is no church. That's something I think we need to really take into consideration because, again, our setup, our culture, creates a, a space where it almost becomes about us and our experience and so, again, I want to encourage us to break free from that. Um, I'm thinking of, of the name of our church, Resound, and how we've had prophetic words talking about how we will be a sound in this area. And it's, it's interesting because today I was, I was thinking about it last night. And I was thinking, well, I know when we built this building, we designed it at least partially to be somewhat soundproof so that we're not disturbing the neighbors. Of course, today we have the doors wide open, so my example kind of goes out the window, but maybe not. Maybe that's a good example because what we do want to do, we don't want to hide our sound behind soundproof walls. We've got a sound, a sound of the kingdom, and we don't want to keep it in our soundproof walls. Just like Jesus said, no one lights a light and puts it under a, a bowl. They light it and they set it on the tables for all, for the, to light the whole house. A city on a hill can't be hidden. We're supposed to be a light to this area. We're supposed to be mission-oriented. P- uh, Jesus was talking to Peter and the disciples, and he said, What about you? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock of that revelation, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I'll go back. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Two points about that. One, he's not talking about hell as in Satan. He's talking about Hades, the gates of death. It was the grave. Two, gates are not offensive instruments. They're defensive. That means we're not supposed to be standing firm against the gates of hell that are attacking us. We're actually supposed to be going against the gates of hell. We are supposed to be in the offensive stance. And so often the church is in a defensive stance against what we see as the gates of hell. And actually what Jesus is talking about here is we're supposed to be going out there and, (laughs) and ransacking Hades and pulling the dead out of that out of the grave, not out of the graveyard, mind you, the spiritually dead, and bringing them into life. We're supposed to be going and attacking the gates of hell because they won't prevail against us. But if we're huddled here, 
saying, I'm going to be really tight in my, my stance for the kingdom of God right here. I'm not going to let those gates of hell prevail against me as it comes again. You know, what does that mean? I mean, these doors that are on this building are not attacking us, but we won't get into the building unless we go through the doors and we need to go through the gates of hell and bring people out into life. And Jesus said that we're to make disciples and that's part of that mission. We're to make disciples. We're not to make converts. We're to make disciples. We know we all know the verse, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We need to go out and we need to make people into disciples of Christ. And that doesn't mean, like I just said, converts. That means wherever they're at, we can begin discipling them. We can begin discipling them toward Christ. And once they're in Christ, then we begin to disciple them in Christ. But it's about building relationships with people out there so that we can bring them in and teach them all the things that Jesus has taught us. How to live. How to live kingdom. How to be a light, a city on a hill. A light that's not under a bowl. How to seek God's kingdom and his justice for this world. Um, And that's my last point is that that Jesus said that we would proclaim his kingdom. And we've taken that and we've limited that down to mean save people from going to hell. But the kingdom is broader than just not going to hell. The kingdom of God is a, a term that would have been really clear to the disciples because it was used by the Second Temple um, Jews to mean the rule and reign of God, that there was a there was a, a saying that um, you, it's less important to know the law, the Torah, until you, after you know the kingdom of God. To know the law without knowing the kingdom means to be in legalism, but to know the kingdom means to know God's rule and reign in your heart, and then live the law from that. And we take. And I don't just mean the Torah, the, the, the law of the Old Testament, but we can look at that to see God's heart to a degree because he speaks of things like justice in there. He speaks of how we're supposed to treat the oppressed, how we're supposed to treat the immigrant, how we're supposed to treat the poor, how we're supposed to treat widows, how we're supposed to um, do agriculture, to let the land lie fallow in certain areas so that it would not be destroyed, to not take all the fruit the first season, because that gives the trees, the fruit trees, the ability to actually produce more if you don't just take all the fruit away. God's really wise. It's kind of amazing that way, isn't he? And he's given us lots of instruction, and we kind of go, well, that's just the Old Testament. That's just the law, and we forget that there's instruction about how to be kingdom and how to treat other people, to love one another, to love your neighbor as you love yourself, to love your enemy, as Jesus even expanded that to mean. So we're supposed to proclaim the kingdom. And I'll just close um, with this. Uh, I, I think it's interesting because another, um, the, the Greek word ekklesia that was used in the Old Testament, tra- the Greek translation of the Old Testament, was a translation of the word, and I forget the pronunciation, but basically neset, the Knesset, which is the, um, today is the Israeli parliament. And I thought it was interesting when I was reading up historically about the, that, how that parliament came together. And it was 
initially 120 men. Does that remind you of something? Gathered in the upper room before Pentecost, there were 120 of them gathered. Jesus was establishing his church, his parliament. And we're part of that parliament. We're meant to be MPs in the kingdom. And we're supposed to represent Jesus and his kingdom as MPs of the kingdom. So we have, each of us, has a little, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, An area that we are ministers over. And we need to all be doing our bit to be ministers of the kingdom. Ministers of parliament of the kingdom. So as I, I say all that, I recognize that I could just say all that and it would be a really kind of cool talk and we learn a little bit more about what the church meant in the Old, Te- Old Testament, New Testament, um, early church. Or we can begin to take that and sow it into our hearts and say, what does that mean for resound? What does that mean for resound in how we meet, how we gather? What does that mean for resound in me being a member of resound? What are my gifts that I can offer the church, and not just on a Sunday morning, but the kingdom as a whole? And as we gather, we can encourage one another, not just what we're doing in here, not just the words of prophecy or prayers, but encourage one another in their yarn dyeing and other things, and teaching, and business. And how are, you, how are you doing business for the kingdom of God? What principles of the kingdom of God are you taking with you into the business world? that is making an impact, that's, that's sowing justice and not just what I can make for myself, pure capitalism. How do I sow justice in business? How do I sow justice in education? How do I sow justice in the arts? What am I doing that's impacting the world with music or spoken word or poetry or writing or painting or performing arts? And we can encourage one another what you're doing, not just in here on a Sunday morning, because this becomes so much the focus. And I want this to not be the focus. I want this to be the recharging center for the batteries that each of you are to power something that's going on out there. We're like one of those plug-in things that you put rechargeable batteries into and, and let them charge. But if you just, if that's the main purpose of the battery, just to sit there in that charger and then go out and sit on a desk Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, and then go back on the charger on Sunday, and then just sit on the desk, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, and then go back onto the charger. What are we powering for the kingdom? And what are we doing to recharge ourselves here? And are we seeing this as a recharging center, or are we seeing this as the kingdom? Because I think a lot of us will tend to see this as the kingdom stuff. And I want to break that mold. So, Father, uh, I thank you. Jesus, I thank you for the way you established the church and the language that was used in the Greek, in the Assyrian um, that you spoke, that, um, not Assyrian. Um, anyways, you know what you spoke. <laughs> um, the, the language that you spoke early on was very, very clear to the people what you were communicating. They all knew when that word ecclesia was used in the writings of the early New Testament writers, that it meant not a gathering to listen to something, but a gathering of a senate 
to discuss how they were to um, bring forth more of the kingdom, more of what it meant to be Greek, more of what it meant to be Roman in the secular context, what it meant to be more in the kingdom of God in your context. And they knew what that meant, and we've forgotten so much of it. So, Father, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, begin to uh, instill within our hearts the idea of community, the idea of um, being a community that is inward only enough to charge our batteries and to encourage one another to push outward and to bring your kingdom here in Bristol and um, the UK and to the ends of the earth. That we would make disciples and by making disciples, not converts, but people who know what it means to live the kingdom and become ministers of the kingdom themselves. In Jesus' name, amen.